Hello and welcome to Automators, the podcast where we talk about making your computers do everything for you, at the very least, as far as they can. My name is Rosemary Orchard and I'm joined, as always, by David Sparks. Hey David, how are you today? I am great, Rose. This is going to be a really fun episode today and very <sighs> automator-ish. Is that a word? Automator-ish? Yes. I guess. It's now a word. I mean, Automator yeah. might itself might feature in the episode. Yeah. So. We're going to talk about mail rules today, but we also are going to talk about all the cool new gadgets coming out of Apple um, this mm-hmm. week with the new Mac uh, MacBook Pro. Um, yep. But the uh, but Apple mail rules or just mail rules in general, we've covered email automation before in some prior episodes, but both of us have been experimenting a lot lately with mail services and uh, mail servers and that opens up kind of a new can of worms for uh, mail automation rules and we've never really gone into that deeply so we thought since both of us are are kind of neck deep in this stuff right now we should share it yeah we should um you know i recently popped onto mpu for a little bit to talk about um switching to icloud mail which has come with its own personal set of automation problems and chances um, and solutions, actually, which I'm very pleased about. Um, so, you know, it seemed like a perfect time, especially since you have since then switched to FastMail. Yeah. Yeah. So I put my email on FastMail. Rose put hers on iCloud. So we both have new toy boxes to play in for automation. Mm-hmm. And, and also, I think mail rules is an often ignored area of automation for people who aren't super into this stuff. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. uh, a lot of the automation stuff we talk about, there's there's kind of like next level stuff where you're coding and doing things. And then there's really simple stuff like one or two step shortcuts. I feel like mail rules fall somewhere in the middle, but it has a ton of utility. Like we're going to talk about some of the server side mail rules both of us have been implementing recently. And yeah. I can see how this is so useful. And I, uh, and I hope if you're listening and you haven't tried mail rules, you'll hear us out today and maybe come up with a few of your own. Yeah, yeah. It, it's one of those things where I think a lot of people could benefit from this, even if they think that maybe, you know, they don't get that much email uh, by automating it, just handing off that that difficulty right there. Yeah. And um, we're going to start in the area of cloud-based mail rules. and. This to me has always been the undiscovered country because historically I've used mail services that just didn't have a lot of cloud-based rules. But but cloud-based rules are the idea that your mail server, the company that manages email for you, that get you know that is the address. When someone writes an email to David at MaxSparky.com, it goes to a server somewhere on the internet that I connect to, and the company that runs that server. Uh, some of them have implemented ways to in, institute rules, you know, where you can say, if it comes from Rosemary Archard, put a gold star on it and alert yeah. me and send it directly to me, you know, and th- things like that. And uh, so that's not done. It doesn't require a Mac to be running. It happens out on the internet with a server. And it's just not really been available to me for a long time, uh, but there are options now. And uh, we're going to cover today several of them. And I think we'll start with probably the the granddaddy of these, which is Google. Yeah, and Google is great. Um, and to some extent, uh, people who are fans of automation uh, will not be surprised. I'm sad I switched away from Google because Google has so much power in their filtering and managing of email. It's almost unbelievable. 
um, I kind of didn't think that I had all that much going on in my in my Gmail rules. Um, yeah. Or actually, I was using G Suite because I got my own domain name um, or whatever Google's calling it this month. They they seem to change the name on a regular basis. Um, but I so I was using that and. Um, first of all, if you are using it for domains, it's about $5 per person per month um, or per inbox per month. Um, so that is something to keep in mind. Um, but on free Gmail, you get all of this power as well. And oh my gosh, it is insanely powerful. You have the choice of, so you can combine as many filters as you like. Um, and it uses a series of text-based Boolean logic, which sounds very complicated. But basically I can say, if the email comes from David Sparks and has automators in the subject, um, then, you know, I would like it to be, you know, starred um, and forwarded to this address. And you can do multiple actions with multiple filters, which, as I've discovered, is not something you can do everywhere. Yeah. I mean, the, um, you know, automation so often comes down to the two elements that Rose and I talk about all the time, triggers and actions, you know, what are the things that can trigger an automation? And then once it's triggered, what can it do? And uh, Google is arguably the best at this. Um, they, because they have lots of triggers and lots of actions. So if you're using Gmail, you need to do it. Now, now Rose, how do you get started setting up uh, some of these automations in Gmail? Well, first of all, you need to go to mail.google.com because that will uh, take you, you know, to to the web part of the inbox. That's where you need to set this up. And then you go to the settings option and then you have to go to see all settings. It's kind of hidden nowadays. Um, but then there's this, this tab called filters and blocked addresses. And fortunately, even though I'm not using Google anymore, all of this information is still available to me there, which is what I've been using to build mail rules elsewhere. Um, and then you can create filters. You can also import filters. Um, and you, you can also create a filter from an email. So this is always incredibly useful. You know, you get an email um, and you go, okay, I don't want to get emails like this in my inbox anymore. So you click on the little drop down arrow to the right hand side of it at the top and then say create filter. And that starts by creating the filter from that address. Um, and this gives you a whole series of fields that you can fill in. So uh, from to subject has the words doesn't have, um, has attachment, size greater than, um, and, and so on. And once you've got that filled out, then then you're really cooking because after you've done that, it'll show you a search. By default, it, and actually, I don't think you can change this. The first thing that it will do when you've created this filter is it runs a search on your email, not just your inbox, for all of the email that looks like this. So that's a really good time to go, okay, you know, where where is this potentially going wrong? Because, yeah. of course, um, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. If you accidentally set it up to delete all email from David Sparks, um, then I can guarantee that I, at the very least, would have one very unhappy Automatrix co-host. Um, so I always double check to make sure what the filters are. And I go through that. Um, and you can rerun that search at any time. Um, first of all, by editing the filter. And of course, um, you can also just copy and paste that information and stick it in the search bar. Because it's incredibly powerful and that's the same syntax. Yeah. So the, um, 
Google, you know, different people have different opinions on Google. Um, some people are like totally fine with it and really happy. It's a, it's a service that costs little or nothing. It's got very powerful cloud-based rule automation and it's ubiquitous. Google is everywhere. I mean, there are so many people that have Gmail accounts. So whenever there's a cool new mail service out there that's going to use some sort of automation or some new way to view your mail or whatever, they're going to make that service work with Gmail because it seems like half the world is using it. You know, maybe more. Yep. I don't know what the stats are, but the, it, a lot of people are using it. So you're in a big market. And you're going to get all the fun toys for, for email to the extent you like toys for email. I actually do. So that's mm -hmm. cool. Um, but then you've got this thing where Google is an advertising based company and like you open up a Gmail and it's got an, and somebody sends you a note that says, man, what I'd really like now is a new lawnmower. My old one sucks. And then at the bottom of the email, there's an advertising for lawnmowers. And you're like, well, that that's pretty weird. How did that happen? You know? Um, and so there, there is this advertising model and I know Google has actually got more restrictive on themselves lately about that, where they're saying they're not reading the email to generate advertising content, but uh, Google's an advertising company. And there is kind of like an underlying tension there where they're yeah. doing this e email for the whole world. Obviously it costs money and the way they make money is advertising. So, um, there is a certain tension with it. Yes. Yeah, um, which, you know, is just something to be aware of um, when you're doing this stuff. I think it, it's one of these things where, you know, you're you're going to end up finding a trade-off wherever it is. Either yeah. you potentially don't get as many automations as you would like, or maybe, um, you know, you uh, can't afford to pay for a, a different service and therefore you're going to use the best of the free ones. Um and so on and so forth. So you, you just have to find the trade-offs that you are willing to make um, that result in a solution that you are actually happy with. Um, and just to forestall anybody who's saying, but Rose, you're a developer, just set up your own mail service. Uh, no, um, yeah. don't, don't do that. Not unless you don't ever want your email to be delivered ever again. Um, yeah. So running your own mail service is a bad idea. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, aside from that, the world is pretty much your oyster. Um, you yeah. know, if, if you happen to, I don't know, run hover mail or something as your day job, by all means, you're, you're, you're one of those people who's welcome to run your own mail server. But for the vast majority of people, I would say, unless you don't like send, getting, having people receive the email you send, don't try that. Uh, stick with something like G Suite or Fastmail or, uh, one of the many other options out there. Yeah. So uh, just get, but go to go back to Gmail. What I would say is if you're using Gmail and you've you've made those decisions like a grown-up. You're like, okay, I've considered yeah. some risks to Gmail plus the advantages, and, and certainly one of the advantages is the automation. Then that's fine. Don't worry about it. Just use Gmail. If you're yeah. somebody who's not comfortable with Gmail, that's okay too because we've got some really good options we're going to share in the show that will give you automation without Gmail. And yes. uh, I do think that um, it's really, I don't want to really get into it because today's show is about automation. But but that is a thing that always comes up as part of this discussion. And then to round back to Google's automation stuff, I used it this week because I am someone who has just never been a Gmail user. I never mm -hmm. really got into it. I have an account that I go in and play with so I can talk about it as Max Barkey this week. I spent a bunch of time in there. And one of the things I observed is that the, the Google Mail 
rule system is both easy for anybody to create and it's embedded in the mail reader, which is really good. Like the one I'm going to talk about later, the one I really like is Fastmail. To create the rules, you log into their website and you go into the settings. Whereas um, with Gmail, it felt more fluid to create them yeah. on the fly. And yeah, um, that's something I think Google has on Fastmail. Um, but there's other things, you know. So, so uh, I would say though that if you're using Gmail and you're not using Gmail rules, it's like getting a piece of chocolate cake with really good frosting, but not eating the frosting. I mean, it's like, come on, man, you're using Gmail. This is like one of the best things about Gmail. You yeah. should be using Gmail rules. Yeah. And the other thing is, um, there are two features I'd, I'd still like to talk about here. One of them is just search. Okay. G Google search is incredibly powerful. I put a link into the show notes as to, um, for, for filters in general with Google, and you can use these both in the search and in the filters. But if you do a search, then you can create a filter from there. So there's a sort of settings type icon over on the right hand side of the search. Um, once you've done your search, if you click on that again, and then, um, or just click on that and then click create filter, then you can create a filter. The only things that won't translate um, from that, that uh, section are the date received um, and stuff like that, because Google filters work on mail as it comes in. They won't process stuff that's already in your inbox. Oh, really? Um, do they have an option to do that? Or is well, it just all? So when you create a filter, then you can apply that to everything that comes up from the search. Yeah. Um, but okay. you can't then say, create a filter for things received more than a week ago um, because Google only runs it when the email arrives. Yeah, that that makes sense. Like like Fastmail does the same thing. You can when you create a rule, you can apply it to all existing email or just new email, which I think largely yeah. is the option you'd want. But occasionally you may come up with a rule to do something to all email from Rosemary, like if you wanted. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then you can retroactively apply that, which is great. Uh, the other feature I want to talk about, which you get for free, it's on by default. Um, you may have disabled this, um, are categories um, in, in Gmail. Um, so Google can turn on these smart features where it will split up your inbox for you. Um, and the categories are primary, social, promotions, updates, and forums. So basically what it's trying to do is get any and all automated email you receive out of primary into one of the other categories. So if you have, for example, the automators forum send you email um, when somebody posts and you've not been around in a while, which is something you can set up under your profile settings, um, then that would appear under forums. Um, but something that is from David Sparks, your newsletter, would probably appear under updates. Um, an email from Amazon telling you about today's treasure truck deal would land in promotions and updates from Twitter would land under social. And it will just take that stuff and automatically move it. Now, this does mean that it kind of splits up your inbox. You then don't just have an inbox. You've got five inboxes, but equally the important stuff should make it to primary and you can train it um, a little bit at the very least so that you can say, no, these things shouldn't go into uh, forums. They should go into primary or whatever it is. Um, and if you go into the settings of your Google account, into the inbox tab, um, you can change your inbox type, first of all. Um, but if you mouse over each of these categories, so primary, social, promotions, and so on, it will show you examples of um, the kinds of email 
that will land in there. So for example, um, if I look um, at, um, let me see, promotions, I can see that I've got some stuff from Tom Bin in there, take control um, and and some other things. Uh, social has meetup um, in there. So a lot of things from different meetup groups appearing. Um, and this is, you know, this is just turn it on and you've got it for free. It does mean very occasionally that you'll find that something appears in the wrong inbox. You can tell it's in the wrong inbox. Um, and then there's also a feature that's part of this called importance markers. Um, so um, it can show messages that have been marked as important. Um, and it analyzes your new incoming messages to predict what's important, considering things like how you've treated similar messages in the past, how likely it is the message is addressed to you, and many other factors, um, which, you know, is both amazing and also potentially slightly creepy. Um, so again, it's it's all about that trade-off, isn't it? Um, of what you have to do, what you decide is best for you and for your email. I personally had this turned off on my domain email, um, but I can see my parents both use it and they really like it. Um, so, you know, there, there's wins and losses um, on both sides there. But in general, I think the completely automated filtering from that is great. Yeah. I mean, I do a similar thing with the SaneBox service. Mm -hmm. And that that is a level of like, how far do you want to let other people into your mail? And like the way SaneBox works is they only read the recipient, the subject line. but so I don't, you know, but it works great, you know, and this idea of being able to look at your mail and have it filtered down like newsletters and marketing to different folders, which is the way Samebox does it with folders instead of um, groupings that, that Google does. Um, that makes the process of checking email and making sure you get the most important email first uh, more useful. And and it, yes. it is a sort of rule. It's an both of these are online rules, but these are automated rules done by somebody else, which I think is another piece of this. Yes, it definitely is. Um, and, you know, you have to decide on what works well for you. The other thing that Google Docs does, or Google Email, sorry, there's so many Google things in my life. The thing that Gmail does is it'll it easily applies tags to email. So if you want to go with a tag-based system, I think Google is one of the best solutions for that because it's built in, it works reliably, and uh, while, even though you may not like tags on your Mac or in other places, I think tags and email can be a very powerful combination. Mm -hmm. Yes, they definitely can. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, tags versus folders is a whole other debate, I think, that we might need to dive into at some point in the future, David. But there, there are advantages to both of them. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by Stripe. Learn more about how Stripe and their products can support your business. Just head over to stripe.com. Many leaders of adaptive businesses choose Stripe as their payment platform because with Stripe, businesses can easily optimize their payments infrastructure, simplify their expansion plans, and create new revenue streams all to help them grow and initiate change rather than having to react to it. In fact, businesses such as Spotify, Postmates, and Twilio use Stripe to power their global payments. And to add to that list of companies is RelayFM. RelayFM has trusted Stripe to manage payments since 2016. It's a huge benefit that they accept more than 135 currencies and payment methods, which means more time can be spent on hosting and prepping for shows while Stripe handles the payments. 
I do the same thing with my law practice. I have Stripe because I've got some international clients, and it was the easiest way to get paid. I've never regretted it. Stripe ranks the highest for strategy and current offerings in the 2020 Forrester Wave Report on Merchant Payment Providers, and their current offering is so comprehensive and versatile. With Stripe's products powering payments for a wide variety of businesses from online and in-person retailers to subscription businesses, software platforms, and marketplaces, and everything in between. So head to Stripe.com if you'd like to learn more about how Stripe and their products can support your business. That's Stripe.com to learn more today. And our thanks to Stripe for their support of the automators and all of FM. All right, so we're going to go from the cornucopia of online rules to the desert of online rules. And you know what I'm talking about iCloud. I know. I, I I both love the fact that I tried this out and I also hate the fact that I'm now going to have to switch everything over again. The good news <laughs> is because I have my own domain, it's a relatively, and I should emphasize that word, relatively pain-free um, thing to move my email to a different provider. It's not like I need to sign up for a new email account and change my email address with every single online service again. Um, it's a, you know, I, I, change some settings in my dns email yes. starts appearing and let's go yeah. down that side alley for just a minute if you own your own domain and you're yeah. hosting your mail through that and i would recommend anybody do this i mean yes. to own a domain is is not that expensive um no. you know and um and you don't need to have a website because you own a domain you could just use it for your email and then whenever you purchase a domain you go to the website, you purchase the minute, they have a tab there called DNS settings. And there are very specific instructions with all of the services we're going to discuss that tells you what records you need to change. And it takes about an hour for me to do it. And I do it really slow because I am super careful that I don't get any typos. I mean, I'm, I, I do this like I'm diffusing a bomb when I don't really yes. need to. And, uh, you know, people who work in this stuff every day do it in minutes, but the, um, and the internet's a pretty fast place. So once you change the setting, it usually takes a little time to kick in usually within an hour with any of the services we're going to talk about, it'll be mm-hmm. taken in and then Gmail will have your, your email or fast mail or hover or iCloud or whatever service you choose. So, this is not a mission impossible. If like you're listening to this show and you're like, wow, I really like Gmail. I like what they're saying about Gmail. I want to attach my domain to Gmail. It's not hard. No, there is one suggestion that I would make before you start doing this, um, which is, you know, the, the, the ounce of preparation saves a pound of work type thing where I would suggest the day before you do it, pop into your DNS settings, look for everything that's currently related to your email and change the time to live down from an hour to something like 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, because basically what happens with every single one of these records is it both says, hey, I exist and this is what I am for. And also I am good for the next X minutes or however long. Yeah. Um, and most of these things default to an hour. Some of them default to three hours and so on. And basically, you know, the longer it is, the more time you're going to have to wait for these things to work um, when you switch it over. But if you change it the day before down to something like 15 minutes, I mean, if you're if everything's set to 60 minutes, you can just do it, go away for an hour, and then come back and and then actually make all the changes. Um, but um, if you change your time to live down, 
you're going to have to delete some records and create new records anyway. So the new records, fingers crossed, will have the right time. But also if you're setting these things up, you can change that time to live to be shorter. I wouldn't recommend leaving it shorter, to be clear, just while you're getting things set up and making sure everything works, because you do need to make sure you copy and paste the stuff accurately. Um, and um, one thing which I did report to Apple and may have been fixed, but it's very difficult for me to check, um, is um, when I switched to um, iCloud's uh, email with my personal domain, one of the records they gave me had a typo in it. It oh, had a gosh. space where there shouldn't have been a, t- a space. And I uh, looked at it and I was there going, I am pretty sure this is wrong. Yeah. Like, this seems to me that it's wrong, but it, it but it was telling me that record was wrong, um, and when I when I hadn't copied it, and it was because I'd forgotten to change the time to live on that record as it was. Um, but basically, th- that was wrong. They'd also sent me an email with the setup instructions. The email was correct, um, yeah. so I I then copied everything out of the email when I was actually having problems, and I decided this has been long enough of maybe I should just wait for things to expire. Um, did you file a bug report on that? I did. I yeah. did. I filed a bug report with Apple. Um, so fingers crossed that has actually been fixed now. That would be really good if it has. Um, but yeah, make sure you are very precise about copying and pasting. Some of these rules must end with a full stop um, and so on. And if you don't put the full stop in, then that will automatically append your domain name. So in my case, it would put, you know, uh, Apple iCloud email. Um, and that's the where it's supposed to point. But it would put .rosemaryorchard.com on the end unless I put that full stop in there. Yeah. Um, so make sure you're very precise when you copy and paste all this stuff um, for for setting these things up. Because the other thing is, is if you do own your own domain, that means that you get a lot more control over your email. Because um, at least not with iCloud, we'll, we'll get to this in a second, but usually you can use absolutely anything at yourdomainname.com. Yeah. So that means that I can walk into, I don't know, um, Awesome Cats, a store down the road. It's not really a store. And I and they ask me what my email address is when I'm paying. I can say awesomecats at rosemaryorchard.com. And they'll give you a look and you say, yeah, it's your business name at rosemaryorchard.com. Okay. And it will still end up in your inbox if you set that up. Um, and that gives you a lot of automation power um, because, you know, if, if people start sending email to awesomecats at rosemaryorchard.com and it's not awesomecats, then I know that they're the people that sold my email. Yep. And you can actually do this with Google um, as well um, by just putting a plus. Um, so if your if your uh, email was myname at gmail.com um, or you're hosting it with G Suite, so it's myname at mydomain.com, you can just add a plus after the my name and then put anything in there. Or you can move the dot or add dots to your name. So it could be david.maxbarkey yeah. or it could be David Max Barkey, or d.a.v.etc. Um, and you can create unique combinations with that, which can be quite nice. Yeah. But just to kind of return to the thread, uh, switching your domain is not that difficult. Last year mm-hmm. I was with Hover, then I did a two-month experiment at Hey, then I went back to Hover, and I've switched to Fastmail, and to the rest of the world my email has not changed. You know, it's just... Yep the back end or the 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 server on the internet where this stuff ends up has changed a few times but the the email has changed the same so i would recommend getting a domain and, and running your own service and you can do that a couple other tips when you're making the switch is go in the day before screenshot and copy everything so yeah. if, if things, you can export your dns records yeah. do that 
especially if there's an import function to re-import everything afterwards. Yeah, you can always screenshot and you can also just yeah. copy and paste. Like you can select it and copy and paste. And I would recommend copying and pasting to, te- to a text file because the screenshot, the, the characters are very complicated and the screenshot, yeah, yeah. you may not realize that it's a pipe or a one or an L or what, you know. So just just copy and paste if you can. The other thing I would recommend is doing this at a low volume time. Like I had decided to do this about a month ago, but then I released the Devon Think Field Guide and I didn't want my email to break when I was getting customer requests in when it first released. So I waited until that died down. And then I did it at midnight Pacific, which is for the East Coast is 3 a.m. The you know Pacific, everybody's pretty much done for the day. And I just stayed up late one night and did it at, at midnight. And that way by 1 a.m., everything was working with the domain switch. And um, the other thing I do, and Rose, you may have better advice for this, but what I do is I just leave both uh, emails connected. Like I had my old hover domain still connected, and then I set up the new one with Fastmail. And I don't have a lot in my folders because, you know, I I use search. So I've got an archive folder, I've got a synth folder, and then I've got a a couple small folders that that are easily duplicated. But I took all the mail out of archive and all the mail out of sent and just copied it from uh, the old hover domain to the new fast mail domain and went to bed. And when I woke up, everything had been copied over. So I, in essence, kind of backed up my mail from the old server to the new one. Yes, yes. Um, I would definitely recommend doing this, especially if you are paying for multiple services. Um, you, you're you not going to want to pay for that indefinitely when you're not actively using it. And yeah. some of these services won't actually let you continue paying unless your domain is hooked up, yeah. um, which is a good thing, to be clear. They, 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 they're not taking you money for a service they're not providing. But what I would highly recommend, even if you use webmail day to day, um, is hooking up something like the macOS mail client. You will want to do this on Mac. Don't try and do this on iOS, please. Yeah. Do it on a Mac or a Windows machine or a Linux machine, any machine, you know. But something like Thunderbird or Mail is going to be great. Connect to the Mail account first and download everything, absolutely everything. Um, and then when you set up the new email address, you can transfer things across. So I ended up transferring a lot across. I should really go through and prune all of that stuff, um, but that's okay. I will get to that. My search still works. So the fact that I can still find all of these emails is perfect for me as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I did have a, a problem when I was copying some of the messages over. It stopped at about 5,932 or something, and it sat there for a couple of hours. When that happened, I left it for a while. Obviously, just, you know, sometimes emails are bigger. They've got yeah. attachments and stuff. It it sat on that number for a couple of hours. And that was the point where I just went, I'm going to quit mail, reopen mail. I quit and reopen mail. And it resumed at 5,923 yep. or whatever it was, the, the, the next number after that. Um, and it just continued on with it. So yeah, something with Apple Mail, I had the exact same experience. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think it just times out at a certain number of numbers uh, after a certain number of emails transferring them. And also it might be rate limited. Um, you know, some of these things might not let you just upload 10,000 emails. Um, but you know what? If you give it enough time, do it in batches and maybe use some of the technology we're talking about today to do some searches first to clear out some of your email, um, then that would probably be beneficial to you. All right. So that was our little little alleyway of switching domains because all of this kind of depends on you switching domains. If you hear one of the services today that you want to try out, um, 
But but Rose, you went into iCloud. So iCloud, you can attach your domain to now, which is what we just yep. described. So rosemaryorchard.com can be hosted at iCloud. Yep. Um, there's some good reasons for that. Apple is definitely more privacy uh, focused. If you're using Apple Mail, um, you know, using iCloud is going to obviously be well supported in your Apple mm-hmm. Mail client because it's made yep. by the same people. However, the online rules are not great. Yeah. So first of all, one of the things I want to address, which you will get with the vast majority of services where you can host your email, is something called the wildcard. And this basically means if you set this up, anything going to yourdomain.com, you can have land in your your default inbox. Um, and you can also set it up so you can reply from that from those addresses as well. Apple doesn't support this. So this means that if you have or had multiple handles, you need to set up each of those individually. But if I send something to zebra at rosemaryorchard.com, it's going to bounce back because that mail address hasn't explicitly been told to exist. And Apple, at least at the time of recording, does not support um, uh, this wildcard system, which means that I have to go in and manually set up every single alias, and I can't set up that many aliases. Um, So this is something you need to be aware of. Another thing, which could be a gotcha for some people, it was for me, I, I resolved it by using another domain that I also own, is you cannot have multiple Apple accounts with the same domain name. Um, this is if you're using them personally. So my developer account is actually attached to it, another email, which was a different handle on my regular domain. So it was just something else in front of it. And I was then suddenly unable to look into my developer account. First of all, Apple really need to probably fix that and still let me log in. Um, and and sec- uh, well, I was able to log in, but it was, you know, doing funny things and clearly not very happy about it. So I ended up just changing that to, I've, I've got rosemaryorchard.dev as well. So I just changed it to that, which funnily enough forwards to my regular email. Um, but that doesn't really matter. Um, but yes, that's something you need to be aware of. So you need to set these things up. Each of those handles that you set up can then be added to iMessage. That's optional. Um, so that's quite nice. And FaceTime as well. So that's um, the, um, you know, that's quite nice if you want to use hello at for your friends, but, um, you know, I am a very professional business person for work. Um, you can do that. Um, but you know, it, aside from that bonus, <laughs> it's, and the fact that the webmail is pretty, it's not necessarily got all that many advantages to it. I'm afraid, David. Yeah. And I really think that this is set up when, when I heard you were trying this, I'm like, this is an experiment. Rose will never last because, Oh no, you know, the, um, <laughs> this is really set up for somebody who maybe has a family domain and they just want to host it somewhere. I mean, it doesn't cost anything. If you're, if you already it, have it, it only app. costs things. If, uh, so it costs, but it's included as part of the price for iCloud plus. Yeah. Um, so if you're already paying for iCloud Plus, then you get the domain included with that. Yeah. And and the online rules are, you can't apply multiple rules. That's the killer. First of all, it has yep. very few triggers, very few actions. And you can't like put conditionals like from Rosemary and the subject is, which I think is kind of like, you know, table stakes for doing this. And it just doesn't do any of that stuff. So it is a very basic rule system. And it is not, for automators, it's not going to give you enough. No, I, I would say it almost certainly won't give you enough. The really good news is by doing this experiment, it has forced me to think 
out of the box um, for a lot of this stuff. Um, and I've come up with some pretty innovative solutions because of this. Okay. So I'm using Integromat to filter my email now, you want, uh, which you is want something to talk we can. That now? Well, we can we can talk through that in a moment. But I I I do just want to say like the fact that I can't filter on subject and address is very frustrating. Now you might be thinking, but Rose, you can do that in the Mac Mail. Mac Mail runs when so for whatever reason, at least for me, iCloud will not push my email. It will fetch. And what push means is iCloud is the servers will sit there and go, there is a new email. I will tell everybody about this. Fetch means that your email client goes, I'm going to check the server and see if there's an email. Okay, there's an email or no, there's no email. And then it will sit and wait. Um, and so the problem with the fetch system, especially when you're then running mails in the Mac mail client, is that email still lands in your inbox. And that means that you potentially will still get notifications about that on other devices. And that's not ideal. Um, you know, and the Integromat solution I'm going to talk about is still doing fetch, unfortunately. It doesn't have push unless you hook it up to Gmail um, or G Suite, um, in which case um, you, you do get that. Um, and it's using their API rather than IMAP. Um, but it does have some alternatives to it, which are quite nice. This episode of Automators is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. Today, many small business owners are busier than ever. Time spent searching for and interviewing candidates can take time away from managing and growing a business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get candidates worth interviewing faster, and it's free. I relatively recently switched to a new jobs, and LinkedIn was a big part of that. First of all, as a candidate, I was able to find out a bunch of information about the companies I was interviewing for. And secondly, they could see a load of information about me just because I'd searched for them and sent them my information. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. Focus on candidates with skills and experience you need. Use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified people then use the simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates worth interviewing faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash automators. That's linkedin.com slash automators to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right. So I have been talking throughout the show about my recent move to Fastmail. And I just want to talk about Fastmail for a minute because I have been sitting on the fence of online rules for too long. Um, uh, I didn't want to switch to Gmail. Uh, I had my mail hosted at Hover, which is where I bought my domains. And I just did it there because, frankly, it was easy. You know, I mean, you own the domain there, you own the email, everything's set up for you. Hover makes it super easy. Talking about domain name switching, when I decided to step away from Hay, um, I actually sent an email to Hover. And they, like within 30 minutes, they had switched my domains for me. I didn't even have to switch them back. You know, it's just super yeah. convenient and it's rock solid. I have had never had a problem. I've been using them for like 10 years for Max Barkey. So there's this momentum involved. And I knew that like Bass Mail was better at a lot of this stuff. But I always like thought, uh, do I really want to deal with dom domain name switching? And do I want to like go through the process? And um, 
of course I did. And and talking to you about about how frustrated you were with iCloud made me say, well, you know, it's not that hard to switch. I really need to make some steps here. And um, Fastmail was the one that I wanted to try. And if Fastmail wouldn't work for me, I was not against necessarily going to Gmail, at least with my non-legal work. Um, but but I just wanted to really give Fastmail a try. So I did the switch. It's now been about three weeks since I switched over. And let me tell you, I am out of the desert, baby. I am like at a nice, cool, like, you know, what do they call that? The savannah, right? Where there's a little nice pond there. There's some palm you trees. Found, you found the watering hole. The, the <laughs> coconuts are are plenty. Uh, so uh, Fastmail is a great mail service and you can use it. Like I did not leave Hover. Hover still is my host for my domain, mm-hmm. but I just went into the Hover DNS records and pointed mail at um, Fastmail. And it costs money. It's $5 a month, just like Gmail. And I set up three accounts. There's one for me, one for my assistant, and one for my editor, all at, at yeah. Max Markey. Um, one of the nice things that um, Fastmail does is it allows you to create a bunch of pointers. Like if you send an email to desk at Max Barkey, it comes to me. Whereas if you send a, you know, there's different emails that go to different people. So I have three yes. people with email accounts, but there's a whole bunch of different other ones. Like if you want to send a gift of a field guide, there's a special thing we have to do, but that goes straight to my virtual assistant who can handle that without me, you know, slowing it down. And so if you go to gift at maxbarkey.com, that goes to her. And so yeah. everything that set up was quick and painless. And we already described how to switch a DNS. But uh, what I wanted to talk about today is rules. And, uh, you know, Fastmail is an IMAP. I mean, it's really what they call JMAP, but it's IMAP in essence for the sake of a user. So it's a traditional you know, mail hosting service, but they have a very powerful set of rules and filters that you can apply. Yeah. Yeah. I've been looking at their documentation because I think Fastmail is is next for me after iCloud. Um, I'll probably leave it another couple of weeks just so that I can say I've given it a full month. But yeah. iCloud is is not keeping me, especially just because of what you literally just mentioned there, David. The fact that you've got three different people on your domain if they're not part of your iCloud family, you yeah. can't do that. Yeah. And do you really want your assistant and your editor as part of your iCloud family? You already have two children and a wife. Um, so you actually can't. Um, you can only have five people in an Apple Be family. Like, I'm like, sorry, so, honey, you got to go. JF's coming yeah. in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <it would> <laughs> um, you know, and I'm sure JF would appreciate, you know, the, the free app downloads going on your credit card. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it's it's not a, a great solution for that. It is very much intended for a family-based domain, yeah. whereas Fastmail is, and Gmail, for that matter, are much more suited to family domains and business domains. Yeah. Um, so you can use it for whatever you like. Yeah. Um, and Fastmail is um, $5 per user per month if you want to use your own domain name um, and have 30 gigabytes of storage. Or if you just want to try it out and you want to use at fastmail.com as as your um, email, then you can pay $3 per person per month. Um, but I mean, I, I'll be going for the $5 option because I want to keep my domain name. Yeah. So once you log in to Fastmail on their website, they've got a section in the setting called Filters and Rules. And it's exactly what it sounds like. They've got uh, block sender filters. So you can add anybody you want where if an email comes from that person, it goes straight to the trash. Um, they've got spam protection, which seems adequate. I've been using it. I don't know if I need to go back into maybe looking at spam sieve again, but mm-hmm. um, I'm kind of still in the, I'm still getting some spam, but you know, 
the thing I were always worried about with spam filters is the way um, Teachable, my platform for my courses, sends email to me. Sometimes it gets flagged as spam, and it's actually customer question. And I have to have a very much a zero tolerance policy on that. I have to read more spam. I'd rather read more spam than have anybody send me a customer question that doesn't get to me. So I'm still yeah. kind of sorting that out. But they've got a bunch of that stuff built in. But the thing that we're talking about today are rules, and they've got a lot of triggers and a lot of actions. So just to give you a list, um, it can look at the from field, the two carbon copy or blind copy fields as triggers. It can look at the subject line. It can look at the body. It, it can look in anywhere. It also has an address book function. So you can have an address book stored in your FastMail account, which will sync over to contacts database on your Mac. And that's just a separate contacts database. It's like you have iCloud, you would have your FastMail contacts too. But with FastMail, once you start adding contacts to that database, that becomes a filter for a trigger. So I could say, mm -hmm. if it comes from a client and I just have a, a, a database in my FastMail contacts of clients, then do special things because it's from a client as opposed to someone who's not a client or a customer or, you know, my friend or family. It has the ability to um, set groups of clients so you can also filter on groups. You can filter on the VIP status or even if the message has a priority, like if it's high priority. You can filter on whether the message has an attachment or does not have an attachment. You can filter on the attachment name. So if you're just looking for, you know, you know, death ray plans, you know, attachment, it, once that message comes in with a attachment called death ray plans, it's going to let you know, or do actions on that. You can filter on size and then it starts really getting nerdy with mailing list ID and header. Mm -hmm. So you can get into the real nuts and bolts of the email stuff that normally you wouldn't even see and start filtering on that. So um, the trigger list is plentiful and it is, you have the ability to bully and link them. So you can have multiple conditions. So, you know, from Rosemary and automators in the subject line is absolutely doable. Yes. Yes. And I really like this as well. I'm, I, I didn't realize about the databases, David, you've, you've sold me, yeah. um, which is, you know, just one of those things. Um, but I'm, I'm really glad that this exists. It, this has reminded me of something else, actually. Sometimes having your contacts be synced with the same service as your email host can be very advantageous. So for something like this, that can definitely be helpful um, where you've got, you know, these databases. And essentially, I presume it's a group of contacts, um, your clients. Yeah. Um, but if you're using iCloud to sync your contacts, um, you might not want to switch away from that. Um, I have previously used apps and services that would sync my contacts between multiple uh, systems. Um, when I was at university, um, I uh, was frequently um, needing access to my contact information on a computer where I didn't want to log into iCloud, um, but I I could log into my email. Um, that was one of the allowed domains. I think iCloud wasn't even allowed, actually. Um, and um, so I synced using one of these apps. I don't even remember which one it was. Um, the, the contacts over to Gmail. Um, I think they're actually still in that Gmail account as well. So that's a little sort of... Uh, what is it? Uh, not time 
machine archive. Yeah. Like, well, those things that you bury in the garden um, of, of some of my contacts um, from, you know, when I was at university. Um, but yeah, oh, wow, that database. Hmm. Okay, David, you, you sold me on false mail. Well, the way I would use that is because you can enable or disable it in contacts on your Mac. And I would probably, I haven't got that far down the rabbit hole yet, but ultimately I think I would just enable it and duplicate stuff from my iCloud contacts. I would still use iCloud as my primary contacts database and then probably just turn it off on my Mac. So I don't even see it, but I just have that data in the background. So when it's running these rules, it has something to compare it to. And I think that would be cool. And another thing you can do, and all of these are previewed. So we talked about earlier about how Gmail is the feature. Once you set up all the conditions for your rule, your, your trigger, it says, okay, in your database, this is all the emails that hit that. So, you know, like if you have a problem, like I have one in the show notes, I was, I shared with you, Rose, and it's a, um, it's a rule for me to take customer support emails from Teachable. It's the exact problem I was talking about earlier where I'm worried about things mm-hmm. getting lost in spam. And if you look at the Teachable sends me a very specific email, but unfortunately the subject line doesn't say from Teachable customer question or something like that, which I kind of wish they did because it would make it a lot easier to filter it. But what they do say is the body of the message always says, you know, some person's name has a question for you, which is a pretty unique phrase. I'm not going to hear very often. Yeah. Uh, and then the body also always at the bottom has a copyright Max Barkey field guides because it's part of my my site. Yep. So I use those too. And I have a, a conditional rule that says if the body has, you know, has a question for you and Max Barkey field guide copyright, um, then it's going to run. But then when I tested this rule that I actually put in the show notes, it gave me way more mail than I expected. And I realized, ah, it's looking for individual words in the body. So any email that has the word has or a or question or for or you in it you know is going to hit that condition and uh so i just put them in quotes and then as soon as i did that then it it filtered the right exact down phrase. exactly yeah, so it, it filtered right down for it for me um another thing you can do with fast mail I, I sound like a fast mail sales guy now but the um uh you can also use regular expressions in these rules. So you can actually run a regular expression to filter. The only difference is if you run a regular expression, you don't get the the preview to see if it whatever where it applies. I don't know why that is, but there's some technical reason they can't preview it for you. Um so uh, the the trigger portion of Fastmail is good. I mean, it's like a Goldilocks moment for me. Maybe it's not as good as Gmail. Maybe you could make the argument it's better than Gmail because you get regular expressions. I don't know. But um, but the bed is not too soft, um, like, you know, iCloud where there's no rules or too hard, like, you know, Google where there's everything, uh, with the Google trade-offs, but it's just right. You know, you've got yeah. a server that you control, a service that is not an advertising based service, and you've got an, a very good set of rules. Then once you choose the, a trigger, you know, that's the second half of the equation, you've got the trigger then you've got the actions you can perform on the rules and the actions it has are all the ones that I really want. Like um, you can mark it as red, you can pin it, you can send a notification to yourself. Uh, you can move it to a specified mailbox. You can mm-hmm. snooze it to a specified time or day. You can send a copy to another person. You can delete it to trash. You can send it to spam. 
Um, and there's other rules. I mean, it's just, there's a lot more to it. You can apply it to um, um, uh, other rules that you have, or you can even give it a name. I'm actually not fully down the stack of things I can do with these yet because I'm still yeah. figuring out where they fit. But to give you an example, the one I just talked about uh, saying if it has the magic incantations in it within quotes that tells me it's from teachable customer support what i'm doing is first of all i have a folder called customer support that's the folder i try to empty every day before i go to bed that's that's like number one you know and so it automatically puts it in there i don't have to filter it into there the second thing it does is it sends a copy to my virtual assistant. So she gets it too. Because one of the bottlenecks was those these emails would come to me. But if I was off like working on a field guide and I had myself on do not disturb all day, I didn't see the email till maybe 12 or 24 hours after it was sent. So mm-hmm. if it was something I was going to have my assistant work on, she didn't get it until I got to it and sent it to her. Well, with this new yeah. system, she gets them immediately. And, you know, she can handle it before I even know it happened um, yes. with this with this online rule. So I, I'm excited about this. I feel like um, I feel dumb for not like looking further into online based rules sooner. But I was just had that momentum at the old service where I just didn't want to spend the time to do it. Yes. One of the things that I'm seeing here in your screenshot, which I think is a very important feature to talk about, is um, you can tell it to continue to apply other rules. Yeah. Um, and you can't do this if you're moving a message. But say, for example, um, you get some, you get a various kinds of emails, for example, from Teachable, and you want to automatically archive these um, using some online system. So you potentially forward it off to something like Zapier, which can then um, deal with a whole bunch of automations for you. Well, you can then just say, okay, that's it, and then create a new rule, which will then do smaller sections of so just for example, the customer support, things will go here and then uh, receipts will all go here because that's for my accountant and that needs to go here. And then you yeah. can split stuff out, which allows you to, you know, say, have, you know, like big overarching rules and then lots of smaller fine grained ones, which do sort of the final action. Yeah, so if you that can makes chain sense. them together. Yeah. Yeah. And I also love the fact that snooze is an action because there are genuinely some emails that when I get them, you know, I don't want to know about them until Saturday or Sunday. Uh, meetup.com ones usually are the case. Like they'll send me a whole bunch of email throughout the week. And generally I do want this as email. I don't like their app so bad, but I love the fact that people use Meetup and it's potentially a thing that's doable now. Um, but I, I don't want to be dealing with them throughout my week because I am not going to change my 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 week plans in the middle of the week. Um, so the fact that I could snooze all emails from them until, say, Friday evening would be amazing. Yeah. Okay. And then like uh, another one I'm working on right now is Apple Receipt. I've bought a few Apple products in the last few days and mm-hmm. I, I'm going to create one that auto file filters and files those as they come in because that's an easy rule apply. They always come from the same email address and they always have the same subject line. Um, I get several newsletters and mm-hmm. I'm in the process of looking into that, but I think this will be very doable where I can just like find a formula for the newsletters that I want to read, yeah. have them come in and auto forward them to my Instapaper magic newsletter account. Um, and then I mean, Instapaper will I've- format it done with this, David, is I've got a very different solution to newsletters um, where I don't actually use my email for them. 
So there are some newsletters which only come through via email. If they can come through as an RSS feed, I, I use them by RSS with with Feedbin um, is the service yeah. I'm using. And then I access that in NetNewsWire. But what I've done for a lot of other things is I've subscribed to them using my Feedbin email address. Yeah. Um, which, you know, you get the initial email through that you have to confirm that comes through like it's an RSS entry into Feedbin. You click OK, and then the other emails start to come through. And each email address comes through as um, a a feed source, just like it would from a different URL, um, which means that, um, you know, everything lands in the same thing. So I don't even get those into my email. That's how I've solved that problem. And I've put a link to the email newsletters in Feedbin um, a blog post that they wrote in 2016. Still works exactly the same way nowadays um, uh, in, in the show notes as well, because that's how I've solved that problem. Um, and then various things, I can share it from NetNewsWire to Instapaper. But I think you could probably just sign up using your Instapaper email address with those. Um, that's how I would solve it. Yeah. And there's a lot of ways to scratch that itch. But the uh, but this is a way. And I, since I've got an Instapaper account with a special email, I can send things to and automatically formats it for me. I could do that. I could also uh, send it to a newsletter folder and snooze it until Saturday and just read them all on Saturday. I mean, yep. there's a lot of ways you could do that, but this is a, I think this is a good example of an online, online based automation workflow. Yes. And I have to say, you know, there's a, a lot of benefits that come with this. There, there, you can do a lot of things, for example, in Mac OS mail, which we'll, we'll get to hopefully at the end of the show, but that is all after it's been received by a machine, dealing with the stuff as it comes in is considerably better just because it 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 never lands on your plate if it doesn't need to. Um, and especially in with the case of, you know, those those questions coming in about your field guides, you know, you 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 get to the folder when you have a moment. It doesn't actively interrupt your day, but then you you can process them all, but also you'll know if they've been processed because your your system will have dealt with them and you'll you'll see that. Um, and I, I, I like that. Um, so yes. So are you sold? Are you going to be switching to fast mail next? You, you sold me pretty quickly. Um, (laughs) David, I I was, I was pretty much already leaning towards fast mail anyway. Um, and friend of the show, TJ Luoma, who we've had on before, um, uh, sent an email to both of us, um, uh, recently telling us about Fastmate, um, which is a Mac OS, uh, mail client for fast mail. Um, and, um, it's got user scripts, which are JavaScript files. Um, JavaScript has advantages and disadvantages, but it's the same language you can use to create OmniFocus automations, um, or OmniGraffle, OmniPlan, OmniOutliner. Um, you can use it in drafts, scriptable, um, and, uh, yeah, apparently FastMail as well. So, um, I guess I've got a project on my hands, um, because that seems pretty cool. Yeah. Another thing about FastMail, I, I, I swear I'm not like, a salesman for Fastmail, but the uh, they just added an integration with One Password, where when you set up a yes. new password for a new website, uh, One Password can generate a random email for you for that website, and Fastmail will create it on the back end and support it if you got your mail hosted at Fastmail. So it's very convenient for one-time email addresses. So not only do you have a one-time password at every website, you also have a one-time email address, which solves a bunch of problems that Rose was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I, I have to say that was something else that was on my radar as an advantage. And um, yeah, yeah, uh, just 
darn it, David, I'm going to have to do some more work. But the good news yeah. is it really won't actually be a lot of work. Um, the, the, the probably biggest thing will be moving all of my email again, which is pretty much a hands-off. And in fact, it is best done as a hands-off thing. Um, and then changing uh, mail on a couple of machines to point to something else or possibly installing the Fastmail and Fastmate applications because uh, why not try those out as well? I'm currently using mail on everything and uh, there, are, there are advantages and disadvantages. I miss custom swipe actions, so uh, I'm going to have to solve that problem soon. I'll tell you one thing that I um, I was hoping Fastmail would solve for me was um, consistent flag status. Um, Apple Mail, I cannot get Apple Mail to give me consistent flag status. Like on the Mac, it's fine. Anything I flag on the Mac gets flagged on one Mac, gets flagged on the other Mac. You know, right now I only own one Mac, but when I have mm-hmm. two, it's very consistent. But I do not get consistent flagging between iOS devices and the Mac. And it's like I'll flag a mail on the on the iPhone and then it won't be flagged on the Mac or I'll flag a mail on the Mac and won't be flagged on the iPhone. And, you know, that has to be 100% reliable in order to use, to use it. Because yeah. like, rather than having triage folders for mail, rather than having a customer service folder for mail, it'd be better to just have a red flag and say, get rid of all the red flags. Those are the customer service, you know, mm. but... But if I can't rely on it, and I was hoping maybe it was a hover problem or if it's a fast mail, I would fix it, but it's not. I think it's a software problem, but yeah, I mean, I have to say that is the one thing that is working with iCloud domain email, but yeah. I also don't use it because no other system supports it. Yeah, that's um, true. And so, yeah, it it's, it's basically not worth it for me. And also as much as I love purple flags, they're not appropriate for a lot of things. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've been trying different approaches for that. Well, either way, uh, I am super excited and I'm going to be able to make even more online rules. I, I still use some other services like Sanebox and I still use uh, local rules on the Mac. So it's going to be fun for me to decide, you know, where the lines are drawn and what stuff happens at the server level, what stuff happens at the Sanebox level, and what stuff happens at the local Mac level. Yeah. But a lot of the stuff, frankly, on my Mac that are in the Mac rules are going to get pushed up to the cloud because that way I don't need to have mail running on a Mac to in order to get these benefits. Yes. Um, and I think that that is the thing. You know, if you've got an always-on Mac, um, it's not as bad. Um, but I have an always-on Mac. And you know what? Even though I have an always-on Mac, it it's not perfect it will still take time before it gets all the email um and yeah there 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 are advantages and disadvantages to it um so uh yeah this episode of the automators is brought to you by hunter douglas take advantage of hunter douglas's season of style rebate savings event until december 6 2021 just go to hunterdouglas.com automators with Hunter Douglas's range of innovative window shade designs, you'll be able to outfit your home with fantastic fabrics and advanced control systems, helping your home become more comfortable, stylish, and relaxing any time of day. Hunter Douglas's shades diffuse harsh sunlight and instead cast a beautiful glow across the room. With their adaptability, you can enjoy the view outside a window without needing to give up your privacy. You'll benefit from better insulation at home, keeping you warmer in winter, cooler in summer, all the while lowering your energy bills. And you can bring this all together with Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology. This ensures that your shades will automatically adjust themselves to give you the perfect balance of light, 
privacy, and insulation any time of day. That's right, Hunter Douglas gets it. They make shades, but they also adapt and embrace technology. Hunter Douglas shades are compatible with all your favorite home automation systems, whether it's Amazon Alexa, Apple HomeKit, which is what I use, Google Assistant, IFTTT, and more. I know that listeners of this show would really love to be able to automate this stuff themselves too, helping them integrate their shades with their other products in their home. And you can get that control with Hunter Douglas. So you can live beautifully with Hunter Douglas, enjoying greater convenience, enhanced style, and increased comfort in your homes throughout the day, all the while embracing that technology and becoming an automator with your shades. So go to hunterdouglas.com slash automators today to take advantage of their season of style rebate savings event. That's hunterdouglas.com slash automators for limited time savings. This offer expires December 6, 2021. And our thanks to Hunter Douglas for the support of the automators and all of Relay FM. So, David, I've been teasing Integromat for a while. Um, am, am I allowed to talk about it yet? Yes. Let's hear about Integromat. Okay. So, um, what I have been doing is using an online service called Integromat um, as email filtering or somewhat for email filtering. I'm not using it just for email filtering. Um, but Integromat is somewhat similar to Zapier, only it's got a more graphical user interface with branching and stuff available on the lower tiers. Um, and it's a bit cheaper as well. So, um, you know, have a look at it and see if it can work for you. But there are two integrations that you can use with your email. There's either a Gmail integration, which uses Google's API, um, or there's an IMAP integration, which just like mail on your Mac or Airmail, Spark, whatever, will connect to your email uh, via IMAP, which is a standard um, series of rules, um, yeah. and read your email. Now, I should point out that just like mail on a Mac, this is not perfect. It is not instant because it does not get those pushes that I was talking about. It is running a fetch. Um, yeah. So Integromat for me is running every 15 minutes um, and it's looking for email in my inbox um, and then doing stuff based on that. Now, I've actually got multiple rules um, set up and each of those is just looking for email with specific criteria. Um, so part, part of the thing with this is I, I didn't necessarily set it up particularly well because I was somewhat in panic mode after realizing, oh my God, Gmail filters were doing so many things for me and I'd forgotten all about it. Yeah. Um, so, um, I, some of it is kind of handled through iCloud and some of it's handled through Integromat, which means that sometimes iCloud puts it in a folder and sometimes Integromat is the one that puts it in a folder because as well as reading your email, it can do stuff with your email. So obviously it can send an email and create a draft for you. The draft feature is actually very useful um, for things. So there, there's um, certain people that I'm talking to at the moment and whenever I get an email from them, I automatically want it to create a draft and, and chuck some information in there. But I don't want it to send it. So I can then go in and, and edit it manually. So it's really nice, especially in, in the mail app on iOS, you know, you, you see those drafts right at the bottom. Um but let me just interrupt there for a second. And yeah. so uh, historically, these online services have supported Gmail, but not IMAP. This is the first yeah. one I've heard that supports IMAP, which gives you that option. Like if you own your own domain and you're not in Google, you can suddenly put a cloud-based um, rule system in, in effect. And yeah. even as much as I like FastMail, it does not create an email for me or create a draft. That That is kind of a unique function to something like Integromat. 
Yes. Um, and I have to say, this is really nice. I did look at Zapier. And what you have to do with Zapier is you have to forward emails uh, to it. Um, and it can send email from your your uh, a custom domain. Actually, I think it might actually support inbound email now. Um, I will have to have a look at that uh, probably after the show and follow up in the future. Um, but, um, you know, what, what you can do with Integromat is have it, you know, read your email inbox um, and do things with that. Um, so yeah, as well as creating a draft and sending an email, which can be a completely new email, not just forwarding things. Um, it can also, um, mark emails as read or unread, move them into specific folders, copy them into specific folders, delete them. Um, and it can send you a personal email and as well as this, it can iterate over your attachments. So if you get emails with lots of attachments and you need them all saved, I don't know, say to Dropbox or something. That is something that you can do with Integromat and the IMAP integration, yeah. um, which is pretty handy. I actually now have a Dropbox folder called email attachments, yeah. <laughs> where you know, Integromat is just going, here's an attachment, stick it in a folder. Here's an attachment, stick it in a folder. Um, yeah, which sa- same box does great. the same thing for me. It, it'll uh, it'll pull, pull attachments yeah. out and put it on your, yeah. your cloud storage. Yeah, which is great. Um, and I have to say, this is working surprisingly well especially when combined with other automations. So usually with email automation stuff with these third-party services, they don't log into your account for you. Now, there are advantages and disadvantages to them logging into your account. There's the privacy aspect. Are they really just going to look for what you've told them to look for? Are they potentially going to look for other things as well? I decided that I was going to trust Integromat on this one. Uh, I am paying them for, for this service. So, you know, they shouldn't have a reason to just go through my inbox. Um, but, um, you have to decide, obviously, uh, especially if, for example, you, you work in the medical field, this is probably not an okay solution for your work email. Um, but you know, that, that sort of thing, you know, aside, this works very well because I can just say, look for these emails and then do this stuff. And it can either just do email things or it can connect to other things and the connecting to other things as well. Of course, for me, is where it really shines. So any email that I get that's about iOS today um, can just get parsed and it gets put into an Airtable. Um, of course, it's an Airtable so that we, we've we got all the feedback for the show in one place. And then it, it marks the email as read and deletes it because it's dealt with it. So I don't need to see that anymore. And that is great. I, I love that so much. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really pleased uh, about how this works. As I said, it's not perfect because it's polling on a regular interval, sort of every 15 minutes or so, which means it's not super fast. Um, but at the same time, um, for anything that I don't want in my inbox at all, I am having iCloud put that in a folder and then Integromat is watching for email in a specific folder rather than watching for email in my inbox. And for things I don't mind landing in my inbox, um, it lands in my inbox and then Integromat will grab it and deal with it at some point. Um, yeah. And it, it it works. And I can also say, hey, if this is in this inbox, in this folder, and it's unread when it looks for things. So for example, your customer support queries there, David, you could say, look for everything in this folder that is unread and then send it to my assistant. But yeah. if it's already been marked as read, don't send it to my assistant. Of course, you don't need to do that because Fastmail is sending it to your assistant as soon as you get it. Yeah. Um, but you know, with iCloud, you have one action. Full yeah, stop. The exactly. End. That, <laughs> so, that's uh, the, the whole. I, I had to pick 
the folder. Um, but you can specify only unread emails, only read emails, all emails, which means that IntegraMet actually can run on emails that you have read. So for example, if you get Amazon dispatch notifications when you buy things from Amazon and you like getting them, but you always forget to delete them from your inbox, you know, because something happens, you know, as you're reading your email. Oh yeah, I need to reply to, you know, this person's who, whose message just came in. Yeah. Uh, what you can do is you can tell Integromat to look for things from this particular sender to this particular recipient um, with this subject or containing this phrase anywhere um, and whether or not it should mark it as red when it fetches it. And then you can say all emails, only red emails or only unread emails. And so it can get rid of all of those red dispatch notifications in your inbox. Um, so I am pretty darn happy about that, I have to say. Yeah, and I could really see you combining this with your upcoming FastMail account where you could automate FastMail rules to send it to the Integromat folder and then, you know, like things really yes. start happening. Yeah, and this is similar to what I do on Dropbox as well, actually, David. I have a folder inside of Dropbox called Automated uh, Actions. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it sounds silly, you know, Automated Actions, fine, What? why? And I've got a bunch of subfolders in there and then stuff happens in those subfolders based on, um, you know, wh wh which it is. So some of it's handled through Zapier, some of it's handled through Hazel, some of it's handled through Integromat and so on. But I know if I'm looking to automate something that lands in my Dropbox, I stick it in the automated actions folder and then the magic will happen. And it often then doesn't live in there forever, um, but it gets dealt with and processed at some point, And that is really nice. So I'm very appreciative of that. Yeah. I, I, we're going to, um, today's show is just going to be about online rule systems because we've gone long. Uh, but someday I, we're going to come back to local mail rules because I've written a bunch of Apple scripts and, um, there's a lot of stuff you can do with Apple mail. It's pretty powerful, but I want to, I want to put a pin in that, but one last cloud service and I've mentioned a few times today is Sanebox, and where, for me, FastMail is the very deliberate online rule system where I set specific conditions and have things happen. Samebox is a service I pay for. And as a full disclosure, they have sponsored the Mac Power users in the past. I don't think they've ever sponsored this show, but um, I've met some of the, the gang at Samebox, and I actually kind of looked into it when I first signed up because I didn't want to just sign up for anybody. But either way, um, they have a... Um, a cloud-based rule system that's kind of like going to look at your IMAP uh, addresses, subject lines, and response times. And it looks at like, how fast do you respond to Rosemary versus how fast do you respond to Stephen or whatever, you know? And mm -hmm. it's going to like use those pieces of data to try and figure out how important mail is to you. It also is going to figure out like mail that comes from newsletters or comes from, you know, REI or something like a store. And it creates a set of folders, or you create a set of folders when you set it up, where it has like a, a folder called later. So like your inbox actually gets the stuff that really it thinks you want to see right away, but stuff that can wait until later, like the REI email or something can wait until later. But you can also have ones for newsletters or for solicitations or, you know, whatever you want. And it, it's like having a little robot look through your inbox and say, this one goes here, that one goes there. And then if you move the email, like if an email got landed in one and you think it should have gone to the other one, you move it there, it observes that and learns from that and just kind of slowly gets better. 
but my experience was it was very good from the beginning and I've been using it now like five years and it's like spooky good. So that's one thing Sanebox does. It's just an, it's an online rule system where you don't create the rules. You can, however, create custom folders as well and custom rules in their service. So you can have it do some of the stuff that I'm doing through Fastmail. Um, it also has a whole snooze system built in. So you can like save it to a folder that will automatically snooze the email. Um, and then it's got this, this one feature that I have never been able to replicate anywhere else. And I use like three or four times a day. And it's where you can have, it's what they call email reminders where mm -hmm. if I send an email to Rose and I, I always do this with a blind copy, but you could do it in a carbon copy too, but it'll say one week at samebox.com. And maybe like Rose and I are talking about, you know, new t-shirts for the show or something. And if I send her an email and I blind copy to one week at samebox.com and she doesn't reply in a week, Samebox says, Hey, you sent that email to Rose. She never replied. Mm -hmm. and then I can snooze it further. I can say, well, let's give her another couple of days or I can write her a note or whatever. And the, the workflow I used to have for keeping track of emails I sent out into the world where I needed information was super complicated. Well, it wasn't that complicated. I'd add them to OmniFocus and track them there. But, but that's like a level of work that is more intense than just you know, using a Texas matter snippet to type one week at sandbox.com, you know, I just type yep. one WS and it's done, you know, and, and I, uh, and one week is the one I almost always use, but I could also use, you know, Tuesday or two days or one month or whatever, same box can figure it out. And then it follows up with me. And I, I love that. I honestly, I think I would pay for same box for that feature alone. Yes. But it also has the thing where you can save things to Dropbox and you can have Hazel working and looking at that Dropbox folder. And there's a bunch of other stuff you can do, but that is another kind of form of online rule setting that I do. Yes. Um, that is something that I struggle with sometimes. I, I recently had an issue where I followed up with my doctor as requested via email to um, their assistant to say, yep, you know, I need uh, this thing issued. You know, I, I've been trying this for a couple of days. We're good. Like, can you issue me a full prescription for this? And um, apparently it landed in junk mail. I'm still not actually convinced of that because I previously exchanged emails with the assistant and everything was fine. Yeah. Uh, but apparently it landed in junk, uh, which, by the way, is a great rule that you can create, hopefully, in anything that will say, don't ever send this to spam. Uh, I have used that one fairly frequently in the past, um, which is good. But yeah, I I, I would like that feature. Um with that and the fact that it does just happen inside of the email is great um especially i could imagine combining that with uh airmail um custom actions um so you could create a custom action to reply and probably insert um that into uh, insert the the right thing into the bcc field yeah. um so that then um you know you've got a custom action for reply and one week reminder reply and two day reminder reply yeah. and monday reminder you know, yeah. um, stuff like that, which, you know, is quite useful. Um, I do just have a quick piece of real-time follow-up. Uh, Zapier does also have IMAP support, and I've put a link to that in the show notes. Good. The yeah. only thing I will say about this is it oh, it can trigger on all new incoming email, or at least that's what it looks like to me. Um, and so um, that is potentially, depending on your email setup, going to generate an awful lot of actions. And with Zapier, you do have to watch out for your action limit, um, as well as... Um, you know, the, the number of um, executions. So even if you immediately filter things after that, that's still going to be two actions that it uses for every single email you receive. 
um, that falls into that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I had looked into Zapier a while ago, and it, I don't remember the specific reason, but it felt like it wasn't going to really do what I needed for IMAP. But if I had been a Gmail user, it would have been really powerful. Yeah, yeah. Gmail actually has an API, which is why a lot of these services can integrate with it so easily, because um, you can use the, the Google authentication for it as well, instead of me having to input the details of the IMAP server and everything, which can vary um, depending on what service you're using. Um, and potentially, you know, app-specific passwords. If you can use app-specific passwords for these things, by the way, though, I would highly recommend it because this way, you know, if you decide, actually, I don't want Integram app reading my email anymore, you can just log into, you know, whatever service it is you're using and kill that password and Integram app will no longer have access. Yes. Um, so, you know, that that is very useful if you can do that, um, which I have to say is an advantage actually with iCloud. Um, they do have you know, these, these specific passwords, which is quite nice. Fastmail does the same thing. Like you yeah. actually get a profile, a security profile on your Mac when you set it up. And, um, uh, I, I don't know. I, I am, I, this is obvious to anybody that's used Fastmail, but I'm very impressed with the service mm-hmm. and, um, I'm really looking forward to, to going deeper down this rabbit hole. I think that, um, I wanted to do a show on it now because I think it's something that we haven't really given good coverage to in the past. But now that it's like really on my radar, I feel like in six months, I'm going to really have this dialed in and I'm looking forward yes. to kind of sharing that journey. And uh, selfishly, I am super happy that I have tempted Rosemary Orchard to Fastmail because if Rosemary Orchard is working in Fastmail, we're going to get all of us are going to benefit, you know, because she's going to come up with some crazy rules that that we're all going to piggyback on. So I see that coming. All right. You do this to me. I'm, I'm guessing this is partial revenge for the fact that during our recent home automation episode, it took you about three minutes after saying, put your wallet in the freezer to buy a robot vacuum. Yes. Uh, sorry, a robot yes. mop, um, which was hilarious, I should point out. And also because this way we get to follow up in a couple of months and see what I'm doing with Fastmail and cover those local software-based mail rules that we yeah. haven't got to today. Oh, and I want to report in on the robot mop. The, uh, the There has been an armistice between my dog and the robot mop. They are now Ooh. comfortable with each other. Um, she, she She was fine with the robot vac because I was doing it from the time she was 10 weeks old till, you know, from the day she arrived in our house to, so that's just been a, a fact of life. But for whatever reason, the robot mop, which is smaller and quieter was really getting under her skin, but now she's okay with it. And, uh, the war has ended. Good. I'm very glad to hear that. This episode of Automators is brought to you by The Intrazone. I love finding a new podcast to listen to, and I really love learning things while I listen as well. So finding something that's both interesting and fun to listen to is a great thing. If you're looking for a new show to listen to, The Intrazone is a bi-weekly podcast with conversations and interviews hosted by the SharePoint team on how SharePoint, OneDrive, Teams, Viva, and more can work for you. You'll hear from guest experts behind the scenes and out in the field, so you can see how SharePoint and Microsoft 365 fit into your everyday work life and learn more about the flexibility when working with content, workflow, search, and more. Each show covers a bunch of segments like news and announcements, a focused topic of the week, guest perspectives from product experts inside and outside Microsoft, and upcoming events, conferences, and workshops. And the topics for each show are really interesting. Previous episodes include content in collaboration, Microsoft Lists, knowledge management, and search. I particularly enjoyed learning about Microsoft Lists. I have to say, 
It sounds boring, but there's an awful lot to it. Go ahead and listen to it now. Just search for The Intrazone wherever you get your podcasts. That's I-N-T-R-A-Z-O-N-E. Or just click the link in the show notes. Go check it out. Our thanks to The Intrazone by Microsoft SharePoint for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, I want to talk about the new the new Macs real quick with you because I don't know where else you and I get to do this. But um, before we do, I have a quick automation I want to share. Yeah. Problem I've recently solved. And I got to be a hero with my wife uh, with Ooh. regard to automation, which to me is always awesome. So I went to Disney World last month to do that speaking gig. And we had those Disney bands. And all they are is an NFC tech. You know, it's, there's nothing like rocket science to it. But I noticed how when you're at Disney World and even Disneyland, you really rely on the app now. You make your ticket reservations, you yep. buy food, everything happens in the app. So I was watching her scroll through. And of course, you know, she's a typical iPhone user. Like for me, I have like a custom focus mode when I'm at Disneyland where the Disneyland mm-hmm. app is on my home screen. And it's just like the stuff I do is weird. You know, in fact, that's maybe a topic for another day, how I use focus mode. But but you know, she's like scrolling through looking for apps. And I thought, what if I just put in a simple um shortcut that is triggered by the NFC tag in her magic band? And so all I did was open shortcuts and do a personal automation shortcut based on an NFC tag. And then I paired it with her magic band. I just held it up to the phone and it found it and logged it. And it's a simple shortcut. It opens the Disney World app. So she's already wearing the magic band at Disney World. Anytime she pulls her phone out, she puts her wrist next to her phone and it opens the app. And, you know, when when your sweetheart thinks you're a hero, it feels really good. So that was a fun little shortcut I made. I think I'm going to do yeah. a, a YouTube video on it and put it up because I know our listeners are like, boy, that's a real simple one, Dave. Not much to it. But I think a lot of people could... Uh, could use that and everybody's wearing those magic bands so might as yeah. well set it up yes i can imagine you doing um a similar thing if you're staying in a disney hotel because you need the app in the hotel as well but also just any hotel um a lot of these have cards that you just hold in front of the door lock those are nfc cards as well yeah. um if there's an app for you know controlling the tv ordering room service and stuff i have stayed in hotels like those did not particularly appreciate the app for controlling everything in my room um but you know it was that or a permanently on glowing tablet, uh, which yeah. at three o'clock in the morning did not serve my needs at all. Um, so you could just scan the NFC tag of the hotel and open the hotels up as well. Um, so that could be quite handy, I can imagine. I like that. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I, everything at Disney is in the app now. It's just crazy. And if you don't have a good battery life on your iPhone or your Android or whatever, bring a battery because you, you, know, you need it to get your food. <laughs> You know, yes. I mean. Yeah. Like they do have some charging stations there, but they cost you money. And then you have to lock your phone in a box for an hour or so. Yeah. And they're not fast chargers either, especially if you have a MagSafe iPhone. Maybe not the MagSafe battery pack. That one is not going to like it works to slow down how quickly your battery is used up. But it is not a Disney battery pack. Something like the Anchor one. Technically, it charges slower, but it's got so much more inside of it that it is a better one uh you know what i disagree i bought that overpriced apple magsafe battery i mean i have both david so (laughs) all right i i love it i mean i know i paid too much money for it but the fact that i don't have to like 
have a cable hanging out of my pocket and I can just snap it on and then I'll put my phone in my pocket and it's charging while I'm walking around. Yeah. And then when I pull it, I can just snap it off if I need to. And we're starting to shoot all of our Disneyland field guide video with the iPhone because it's got good enough. I can do that now. So I'm using battery more than ever. And and I love that little white thing in my pocket. It just takes a little space. But anyway, that's another that's another whole nother topic. Um, speaking of giving money to Apple, though, um, oh, we got the announcement this week of the new mm-hmm. MacBook Pros, and um, I know that you have been a user of MacBook Pros in the past. And uh, so, what do you think? And we're also covering this on the Mac Power Users, so I'm not going to go into great length about my thoughts on it. But the um, I wanted, you know, the world needs to know what's Rosemary Orchard think of M1 Pro and M1 Max. Uh, do they make shortcuts on macOS run a bit better? <laughs> um, sorry, I'm, I'm mostly kidding. Shortcuts is actually touch wood on the latest beta much better for me, which is great. Yes, um, me, too. I, me too. I don't see a personal need at this point in time for the Pro or the Max which, by the way, I personally think is a very bad name, and I'll come back to that in a second, um, because I have the M1, and the M1, for me, is screaming fast. It is incredibly good. I do everything on it, and I never have an issue. Um, I, I did have something with one app recently where it was popping up and um, basically going nuts and hogging all the memory. So I uninstalled the application, and guess what? My my Mac is back to normal. Um, so I... I I love the fact that these exist. I am not sure about the feet sticking out on them. That is weird to me. I prefer the slimmer profile of the M1 Max. Um, I have an M1 MacBook Pro sitting right here as well. Um, But I don't use my laptop often enough to make it worth upgrading it from a 13-inch to a 14-inch. And also, everything I need to do works on the M1 fast. I'm never sitting there waiting for things which are at a limit of the processor speeds on my machine. Sometimes I'm waiting for stuff because it's downloading from the internet, but a faster processor is not going to speed that up. Uh, For that, I would need fiber, um, which, you know, I'm willing to pay money for BT over here in the UK. Please give it to me. Um, But yes, uh, I'm really grateful these exist. But I think even though I definitely fall into the category of a pro user, these are not the machine for me for my personal needs. Yeah, and you also recently bought an iMac, so you've kind yeah. of got the, you know, got the desktop machine. Yeah, I have a desktop and a laptop. Um, and uh, actually, technically, David, my iPad Pro is more powerful than the MacBook Pro sitting here because the iPad Pro has um, a terabyte of storage space, and that comes with sixteen gigabytes of RAM. And the MacBook Pro that's sitting here has a two hundred fifty-six gigabyte hard drive. Um, and eight gigabytes of RAM. And you know what? I don't run into issues on any of my machines. So I'm I'm very happy with them. Yeah. The um and I do think RAM is one of the reasons you may want to consider the new ones because you can get a lot more RAM in them. Yeah. And and you know, there's size and there's input output. I, I really and and that 120 hertz screen, I like we're gonna yes. go deep on this on the episode of Mac Powers that's that's releasing um it's probably already out by the time this show releases. So you, you can hear me like wax on about, I don't want to waste everybody's time, but I I'm a fan of them. I'm going to be using one as my desktop machine. You know, mm-hmm. I, I sold my M one Mac mini back to Apple and then, okay, and then I use that money to uh, put down on a, um, on a MacBook pro. 
So, and that's going to be plugged into my fancy monitor and it's going to stay there most times. It, when I need to have power on the go, I'll be able to take it with me. And when I don't, I, I'm going to keep my M1 laptop, my 13 inch, so I can like make that the Starbucks and Disneyland and wherever machine. Yeah. And uh, so I, I feel like I've got a really nice set of computers once this other one arrives. But uh, yes. I want to hear why you uh, don't like the names. So my, my specific problem is the name of Macs. Okay. That's M-A-X. But also yeah. if I talk about Apple Macs, it sounds the same. Sure. And that's why I have a problem with it. Just like think uh, for one second outside of the box for people who don't speak English with crystal clear pronunciation, which yeah. let's face it, unless you're, you're using received pronunciation all the time, um, just doesn't happen. Um, the number of times that people are going to be confused by somebody talking about Max plural Apple computers versus yeah, yeah. Max the size. I never thought of that. But right. <laughs> if you say M1 Max, you're like, well, did you just buy two of them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like right. that, 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 that alone M1s right is, there is, is, is two a problem. M1s is M1 Max, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, I guess that's how it works. Um, and also I feel like they could have done better with the naming. Um, just generally, like we do have the iPhone Pro and the iPhone Pro Max, but that's iPhone Pro Max, not Mac Max. Yeah, I mean, also, where where is the iPad Max now? Um, because we have iPad and iPad Pro, we don't have iPad Max. Um, we have iPhone and iPhone Pro uh and iphone pro max so yeah i if mean they, that, if they release next week one that's 15 or 18 inches mm -hmm, uh, yeah. iphone pro ipad pro max would you get one again i don't think i need one right yeah. now but i would probably definitely want it yeah, and visit exactly. a couple of apple stores to play with it for a while <laughs> yeah. and i know people who would happily buy a 15 inch ipad because they on a bigger tablet. Uh, I have to say, the iPad mini that I got... Well, well also, it would be great for a sidecar. Like, if you oh, like yeah. a sidecar user, you get a 15-inch iPad, and you've got a second monitor for your Mac. That would be an incredibly expensive second monitor. I have a yeah. portable monitor that connects via one USB-C cable yeah. um, to my Mac, and that is and that does power and data, and that's 15 inches, and that was... Two hundred and twenty dollars or something. Yeah. Um. So you know, it's the, the iPad's going to be at least two thousand. Yeah. And then, and then you can carry it around as an iPad too. But yeah. Yeah. I get yeah. You. The, yeah. The, there is definitely advantages to it, and I'm sure the screen would be better. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's certainly interesting for sure. I'm also a little concerned about the power usage. They spent a lot of time in the keynote. It felt like talking about how they can do all of this stuff at low power, and then the 14 inch comes with a 96 watt power adapter. Yeah. The 96 watt power adapter is what I got with the 16 inch Intel MacBook Pro that I've got sitting here. Yeah. Uh, because that's my work machine. The 16 inch MacBook Pro Max. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the name. Oh my gosh. This is so confusing. Um, it, it comes with a 140 watt power adapter. Even if the machine, which is already bigger and heavier than any recent MacBook, because they did make them fatter again, because yeah. they have to support that four millimeter, four and a half millimeter thick uh, HDMI port, yeah, um, you are going to need a forklift to carry that power adapter around. Yeah, because it, that it's is definitely heavy. bigger. You know, yeah, I have a tiny Anchor um, power adapter for, which outputs sixty five watts, and David is hardly bigger than the original iPad Pro char uh, iPad charger. Like th that's how small it is, and it's a sixty five watt charger. 
Um, and so that more than does my my portable um, 16, 13-inch uh, uh, M1 MacBook Pro needs, but it's not an M1 Pro Max. Well, I, I think I'm more positive about it than you are. I, I just think, you know, it's it's the power M1 chip. And of course, that's going to suck more power, but it's also going to give you more. But I one thing you say I to- totally agree with is that almost none of us need one of these computers. Honestly, I, I've been editing 4K video just fine on an M1 Mac. There's really not a great reason for me to upgrade from my M1 Mac Mini to this beast but I can't help myself. And and I do like the idea of the 16-inch screen because uh, the way things are at my house with you know people moving around and I had to move my studio out of a private room with the pandemic and um, I want to screencast in other rooms and with that big 16-inch monitor, that will be very possible for me where it's actually kind of hard to do that on a 13-inch monitor. So I've got, um, I've got some reasons, but... You know, at the yeah. end of the day, if I was... Oh, I think the machines themselves are absolutely fabulous. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I just, I don't see a need for it. And I I feel like, especially with the increased weight of it, as it is, I currently do take my my personal MacBook Pro with me just in case at times, yeah. you know, just in case my parents actually have a tech support problem, which requires me to get out a Mac and it's just much faster to solve on that. Yeah. Um, or, you know, uh, if I'm, you know, going to visit some friends, for the weekend, um, and we probably won't end up programming on something nerdy together, but just in case, because that's the kind of friends I have. Um, yes, we're, we're geeky nerds and we love it. Um, I'll chuck it in in my car because it's it doesn't weigh anything really, it, yeah, and I, the battery I, goes forever. But the 16-inch, I definitely wouldn't do that. And that's the 16-inch Intel that I've got here for work. The new 16-inch, there is no way. There is yeah. no way that thing would leave my desk. Well, so for me, it'll leave my desk around the house and maybe like on trips where I need to have the production machine with me, but not, that's not going to be very often. Uh, but I would also argue that the new M one max, not the M one. See, you're right. M one max is not what I'm talking about. The M one M a C S max. Yeah. Like I believe those are the most portable max ever because they just don't, they don't get hot in your bag like the old ones yeah. did. The span, the fans don't spin up. If they're assuming there are fans, the batteries last way longer. I find that one of the reasons why my iPad usage went down was because now I feel much easier bringing one of these little laptops with me wherever I go. So yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the thing, isn't it? It has to be the right device to solve the problems that you have. If you have tried an M1 before um, and you found that it wasn't up to your needs, which I can completely believe. There are people who are doing video rendering and stuff out there where 16 gigabytes of RAM in the M1 processor might not have cut it. Yeah. Well, the M1 Pro or M1 Pro Max um, or M1 Max, oh, whatever it is, um, <laughs> probably is the right machine for you there yeah. If you yeah. if you need to upgrade from a new machine now. But, you know, it, it really depends. If, if you're after something that is ultra portable, um, you would have to go with the 14 inch. I feel like they they are big, and apparently the Max is heavier than the Pro as well. Um, not by a lot. Um, I think by the time you're you're looking at it, if you pick them up, you probably wouldn't notice. But that is something to to factor in um, when you're looking at all this information. Well, either way, I I think Apple hit it out of the park for people oh, who yeah, want a MacBook Pro, and and um, I'm now now you have me thoroughly confused about the Max term, so now I'm going to have to to struggle with that. So thanks for for putting that on me. Please feel free to share it with Stephen Hackett. I'm sure he'll appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I will, but I'll give you credit. <laughs> Dang it. Sorry, Stephen. 
Anyway, we are the Automators. Uh, enjoyed talking today about online mail rules. If you've got some interesting mail rules you'd like to share with us, we have a forum for that over at talk.automators.fm. Thank you to our sponsors this week, and that's our friends over at Stripe, LinkedIn Jobs, Hunter Douglas, and the Interzone. Um, you can find me over at maxbarkey.com. You can find Rose at rosemaryorchard.com. Did I miss anything, Rose? No, that's everything, David. All right. We'll see you next time. Goodbye, everyone.